Pod Clubhouse. Hey everyone, this is Aisha from Pod Clubhouse, and welcome to Podcast of an Ancient Dawn, a Lovecraft Country podcast. We are back again for episode two, Whitey's on the Moon. And let me introduce to you my co-hosts, Sean, Ashley, and Kenny. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, hey. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. I'm glad to have you guys back. This is amazing. We are on to episode two, and Tick, Letitia, and George are moving on up like the Jeffersons. How, hmm. What do we think about that opening? I mean, tell me. <laughs> tell me what you thought. I know you I, were jamming. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I also um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a, a fun moment when you're like thinking about, okay, we, we're in the big house. We are enjoying the luxuries and the privileges that white folks have afforded to us. It was definitely a fun moment and it was humorous in, in the way that it was sort of exaggerated. I sang along for sure. <laughs> definitely. I know. I, you couldn't You couldn't not right, sing along. Right. You had to sing with that. Kenny, how'd you feel about that opening? Look, it's it's been a long time since I've heard the Jefferson theme song just happen on TV out of nowhere. I was unprepared for it. I was cooking in the kitchen. I was like, oh, oh we, we, we're what? We're moving on up. And, and all of a sudden right. it was happening. Exactly. I thought the music direction for episode two was great. I, I loved yeah. every song yeah, they did agreed. in this one. Definitely. I, I got to say, if you're, you know, given how the first episode ended, uh, you know, you don't know where's the second one going to start. That was certainly the most iconic way to start an episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. As we approach the Artem house, like Sean just said, it's like it was they open the door, they move into the house and it's like, where, where are we? What's going on? Who wants to tackle what they were feeling as they, as they got into this whole episode and as they were just like entering the house and figuring out what's going to go on. Well, there's, there's definitely like the sense of mystery at the end of episode one of who is this guy opening the door? He's blonde haired, blue eyed, which hopefully we'll get into later about that whole relationship based on the environment of the house. But the fact that Tick is the only one that remembers the night before is what stood out the most to me in terms of them entering the house. So that opening scene really does sort of capture like Uncle George and Letitia's, the days that they're in or the, the um, trying to describe it in terms of like their ability to like cognitively remember everything that happened the night before. And so that entire opening scene really contrasted like Tick's experience versus Letitia and, and Uncle George. Because he was basically having PTSD, and they're sitting there mm-hmm. dancing around, trying on clothes, right. reading books, dancing around <laughs> robes, throwing the windows open, and he's sitting here and like literally like having a PTSD episode. And at first, I'm like thinking, why are they? I'm like, they must really be getting some nice hospitality. Because I think mm-hmm. if all that had happened to me last night, I'd probably be pretty bent out of shape right now. I'm like, wow. Right. And then you start to realize something's up, something strange going on mm-hmm. here, as we'll get into the episode. It almost, for me, highlighted how, as Black Americans, we deal with collective trauma. Like Some of us are more in tune and very much present with it than others. And it just kind of brought that to life for me. Like it made, it really resonated in terms of like being a person who is, is constantly pointing at, look at what's happening y'all. Like, are you aware of what just happened? Mm. Um, are we really paying attention to this moment? And there are 
groups of black folks that are like, no, like, I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that, that in the same way. My experience is different. So it, it really brought that out for me in terms of ticks, remembrance, and then the lack thereof on the other side. And, and, and see, for me, I'm coming from, and I thought about this when I saw, when I, when I was watching it and I, I thought about a lot of you guys, cause I was like, oh boy, I'm going to be the guy who has all the nerdy dorky opinions <laughs> of video games and all this stuff. Kenny, please bring and, it and, in. We, we need, need it. it. That, we, we need it. it. It's like, that makes sense though. Cause uh, that's what Ghost Planet is. So I'll fill my niche here. So have you guys seen some of Key and Peele? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Do you remember the continental breakfast skit? Where the guy's going around and he's really impressed with the fact that this hotel has a continental breakfast. He can't stop. <laughs> there are I vaguely remember this. Hello, Oranges. morning in France. Oranges. Oh, Valencia. I don't mind if I do. I do. The, the moment that door opened, I was like, oh. So we're doing a, a, a mansion reference, are we? <laughs> and they, they, they got inside and started going right. around with the clothes and the music. Right. I'm like, oh, so they're that. they're getting the sacrifices ready, are they? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. There were just so right. many. Yes. Like, as they rolled along, there were so many moments where I'm like, oh, I see you, Jordan. I see what you're doing here. I'll, I'll stay quiet. I'll stay mm-hmm. quiet and let it all happen. But I, I know where you're going and I like what I'm seeing. And another cool thing was, as as they were looking into this house, I thought of you guys because I thought of uh, uh, Stephen King and Rose Red, mm-hmm. um, mm. and I got Rose Red vibes as they were coming up to that. And and as we went on a little into them, you know, exploring the different rooms that they were in as far as getting dressed, and and things start to come to light. You know, just real quick, there's a game called Eternal Darkness, another Lovecraft game. Uh, there are very few of them, and it's one that a lot of people, especially a lot of people who follow Ghost Planet, will know and hold it in very high regard. It takes place in a mansion where things that kind of happen in this episode happen. So mm. again, here here's Lovecraft Country paying homage, whether they know it or not, to these cool Lovecraft things. You gotta watch it, guys. Gotta stay on it. I know. Wow, that is that's amazing. That's Sean. Did you have you did you have any Stephen King vibes or any Lovecraftian? You know. Well, there's one thing I noticed, and I might be jumping ahead just a smidge, but I wanted to run this by Kenny. So the Cthulhu. Mythos. I hope I'm saying that right. You did. Mm. And what? I'm proud. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. I thought I did. Nice. We yeah. said, Ashley and I said, what? I was ready. I was like, right. I, I was I like was holding my breath. <laughs> I was holding my breath right there. No. So yeah. my Very understanding good. is that that creature is generally visualized as having a lot of like tentacles, kind of octopus-like in appearance. Um, do you want, do you want me to I describe learned. a show, Goth? Because I'd love to do it. Please do. Please do. Because then I'll circle okay. back to what I was saying. Oh, sure. Real quick. Yes, you're right. The Shogoth is described in the Mountains of Madness. Uh, literally, a guy looked at it and went mad from this orifice blob, constantly bubbling, growing eyes, teeth, mouths, appendages all at once. And they're, they're, they're forming into existence and then dropping out of existence. It's like a goop that's constantly trying to form into something solid but cannot. And so mm. imagine this thing with huge teeth and mouths that are bubbling and splitting it's it's really disturbing stuff okay well the reason i brought it up is at the lunch table and i noticed this in my second viewing at the lunch table when they were eating after they were escorted outside by william there was a whole bunch of octopus tentacles in a bowl on the table which i did not notice the first time and so part of me was wondering is that is that sort of a um a shout out 
to to that or could it just be coincidence which i'm not inclined to think the latter so oh, yeah. i just wondering if anybody else noticed that or maybe i'm overthinking it because i know i do that sometimes <laughs> i don't i don't think you're overthinking i think you hit the nail right in the head um but i think mm. it's a surface level thing um lovecraft is very commonly associated with tentacles um with with cthulhu being the most popular you know being in the mythos and him being a tentacle thing it's it's very common to associate Lovecraft with tentacles. So if we see tentacles, that's Lovecraft. All right, just throw them wherever, put them okay. wherever you want. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that nugget and put that right in my brain for the future now, because <laughs> I had no clue at all. I did. I missed that on that first viewing. Oh yeah, there's even a um a I used it when we were talking about this first episode we we did with you guys. Uh, there there's a a um, Lovecraft Country banner with um the the three of them Atticus George and Letty. With black tentacles covered all over it, we we shared. Yes. We were talking oh, about that's this episode. Yeah, you're on absolutely the, on right. The movie, on the poster, yes. You're absolutely yeah. right. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Tentacles and, mean Lovecraft. Okay. Well, so, so then, yeah, there you go. Very good. Good eye. But I took I me didn't twice. That at all. Took me twice to notice it, though. <laughs> <laughs> this show has so many tiny little. You know, you have to watch it a couple, two, three times an episode to get all those little tiny details that they've put into it. I mean, they have done their job. I mean, it's super layered. And one of the big things that I noticed were, well, first of all, in my mind, I've nicknamed this the dog whistle episode (laughs) because there's so many what I consider to be like white supremacy dog whistles. Mm. Um, And I think Tick is the main one that picks up on a lot. Like he's the one who remembers the dog whistle right away. And he runs towards, you know, the town where the big stone building is. And a lot of it is really shaping for us, I guess, or painting a picture of like how this community thrives on hierarchy and power. And that stood out to me uh, throughout the episode. I think that was like a huge overarching theme. Well, I, For me, I thought it was very interesting that as they were strolling down the path, walking into the town of Artem, Mm -hmm. they're inconsequential. People are going about their business. The kids are playing around them. No one's Mm -hmm. paying them any mind. Nobody's paying them any attention. Were they invisible or were they just, I'm I'm confused about that. Or were they expected? Ooh. I don't know. I mean, uh, that's my question because I was a little confused. What What do you think? Is it true yeah. that they were expected or what? Because, but, you know, I wasn't, I guess as they were approaching and they had no one, you know, notice them. And so when they had the sheriff or whoever, I we I don't think we ever got a name on that woman with the shotgun mm-hmm. and the no, dog. That's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's what I, okay. I was struggling that's to remember okay. her name. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she, mm-hmm. that when when they met her and had the animosity with her, I thought this is completely different than the vibe that you're getting when they're approaching the town. So that was my issue that I didn't quite, quite get. And, and anyone wants to jump into that and explain that to me, I'd love it. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that in particular, but I did think about the fact that they're the only black people around yeah. all of the indentured servants or whatever are, are white people. So I'm, and that's what where the hierarchy, the hierarchical kind of structure in my mind came from. Because here we have the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Braithwaites. Mm-hmm. And then we have their indentured servants who are all white people. And then here come, you know, Tick, Letitia, and, and Uncle George looking for Montrose. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just 
I'm trying to understand the connections, you know, and, and the layers sort of, well, they definitely all sort of coalesce when, when they get to the dinner party, but that's, yeah, <laughs> I guess we'll get into that too, you know? Yeah. The one thing I noticed about that town that really weirded me out is it seemed like, I mean, it's 1955, right? It could have been 1755. Mm-hmm. The way those people were dressed, the way they were walking around, there's no cars, there's no roads. The whole thing just struck me like, what is this? Like M. Night Shyamalan's The Village? Like, what is well, going on here? Yeah, and then right. the fact that the actual yes, I house. I got Village vibes, too. Right, yeah. the, and the, the, the mm-hmm. house yeah. is looking like a... Um, <laughs> Something out of the future, you know, on or the outside. at least something very modern. Mm-hmm. Modern, right. yeah. yeah. That's all. I just, that, that weirded me out because I'm like, that almost felt like they stepped back in time. And then, I, I mean, I don't think they meant to do it that way, but that's how it came across to me. And then all of a sudden they walked back to the house and it's like, it felt like present day again. And I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't know if there was anything meant by that, but that's how I interpreted it. Like that was a very strange scene where they went into the town and it felt disconnected from the rest of the episode a little bit, other than, I guess, introducing racist sheriff lady. (laughs) It kind of Mm. felt disconnected from the rest of the episode for me. I'll say this. I don't know if it's Jordan Peele or what. I don't know who it is, right? Like I don't know who to thank for it. um, This show, like so many things lately, have done a great job at portraying being in an area that means you harm uh, as, as someone who, right. who looks to write horror and who writes science fiction, you know, the, the one thing that can be tricky to portray is an area that's not immediately hostile, but you need it to come off that way in very subtle ways. And they were very subtle about that. Like, you know, not, not, not everyone reacted to them with animosity. As you were saying, lots of people acted like they weren't even there. Like they didn't exist to the point where you wondered if they were invisible even. Mm-hmm. And, so much of that, again, is Lovecraftian. I mean, the I wanted to say this when you were speaking earlier, but everyone was kind of on a roll, so I just held on to it. Where they expected, it's Lovecraft. They're expected. They're expected. <laughs> and, and, you, yeah, they're they're and, always and, expected. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and H.P. Lovecraft. I'm learning People so much. Been, it's like, not only are you expected, sir, we have been waiting for the planets to align tonight for 200 wow. years so that you could be sacrificed on this altar. The the machinations of a large cult have led to this day and this circumstance and this time. Okay. So and and none of that could be right. We're only two episodes in, but that's what everything is screaming to me. Just the way they're interacting with people, the secrets they're stumbling upon, the way the mansion works. Like so so much of this is. Um, I'm trying to be delicate now. I say this because it's it's not paint by numbers, Lovecraft, but. It's very, very close and accurate to the type of story that Lovecraft tells so much so that I I think I can see where it's going. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I think everything about this scene, the scenes where they're in the mansion, where they're they're outside meeting people, this lady with her her dogs, man, those are some rough dogs. Mm -hmm. I used to do veterinary work for a few years. You, you, you got to really, I won't get into that. I don't want to talk ill about German (laughs) shepherds. They're good boys. I'm I'm not going to slander good boys on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, all right. Well, if if this is Lovecraftian, you know, quintessentially Lovecraftian, then it's also based on what I know about H.P. Lovecraft, steeped in white supremacy. And the the, the on the flip side, oh, yeah. when it comes to like, oh yeah, when it comes to culture, black people have a sixth sense about what it means to be in danger 
it's almost like that moment in a scary movie when you just know that the white girl is going to go upstairs and check on what's going on. And <laughs> the people of color are not going to do that. <laughs> we, are not going, we know that our people are going to go in the opposite direction of danger. And it was so much of that for me because I'm not as familiar with Lovecraft that I was like, you in danger, girl. Like, yeah, you, can't we, you, listen, you better listen to Tick. Yeah. He's telling y'all what's up. And Letitia coming out dressed in an ascot and riding crops. And I'm like, girl. That was a Django and Chain moment. <laughs> was, that was a Django and Chain moment. Yes, I thought that too. That was a Django yes. and Chain moment. Like, I literally had another continental breakfast. I was like, oh. Right. I was like, oh. <laughs> and it doesn't help. It doesn't help me and my light skin sensibilities that the light skin girl is out here just being extremely comfortable in the space. Flip, <laughs> I'm like, you're, flippant you're, even. Letitia. Right. Le- right. right. She, he said, uh, so the clothes fit? She said, like a glove. Girl, I need you to. <laughs> like a glove. Take them off. Like Take them off. Right. Like a glove. This is a problem. Like the books are there. The clothes are there. Some ain't right. And, and Tick was the one who was, who was the you know, voice of reason and truth. Like we are in danger and we are not in a space where we are safe. And I think it clicked for them when they were at lunch and they were being watched. And uncle George was like, you know what? Let's not make them even more upset. Let's ride this out, find your dad and go. Mm -hmm. And they do execute that up to the point where like Kenny told us, like we've been waiting for you. So we set it up to where (laughs) y'all can't even leave. (laughs) So I think, you know, all of that just comes together and it, it, it's definitely Lovecraftian, but it's also something that regular Black folks who are not familiar with Lovecraft will be able to identify with. That's true. And I, I hope more because I heard someone say something the other day that is remarkable and true about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's work. And it's that, you know, the the mark of a true Lovecraft protagonist is that he's capable of recognizing the great danger that he's in at all times, but unable to do anything about it. And the and, and, and I, I, I agree with that. And that's key to keep that theme of existential horror, of, of, of cosmic horror, so to mm-hmm. speak. You ha- the enemies have to be larger than you, but they don't always have to be alien. It could be someone who can put a ward on your door so you can't leave. It can be um, what I assume to be magical wards that erase their, their, their memory, right? I, I assume that that's what happened. Maybe not. That's what I took away from it mm-hmm. as a as a oh as a mm-hmm. as a Lovecraft fan. But it's key, and Atticus has that. He's a really great Lovecraftian protagonist. He has a military background. Perfect. Mm. That's 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 checkpoint one. So he's capable in a combat situation. He can make rational decisions, and he can figure out what's going on around him. Perfect start for Lovecraftian protagonist. And the way he's reacting to all of these stimuli, he's able to see through it. He doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he knows something's going on. You know, obviously, besides the fact that there are monsters in the woods, he's like, this is all way too good to be true. There's something going on here. This guy's planning something. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't Mm -hmm. have all the answers. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's coming about it in a great way. Like, he's able to be, I really like Atticus. He's able to be this fiery go get antagonist. But because it's a Lovecraft story, we see... That doesn't solve mm-hmm. all his problems. He's not able to punch his way through everything. Right. Let's talk about those magical wards that you were talking about. So those three spells that they put on them. Mm. There was there was a note that I read that Ashley had made about how the white folks were watching as the spells were being, ca- you know, um, mm-hmm. played out. Played out. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Right. Right. 
interesting note that you made, Ashley. Expand a little bit on what you were what you were saying. Yeah. So when they are experiencing those those visions in their rooms and they're waiting for dinner to begin, they're waiting for the dinner bell to ring. We find out that behind the scenes, the dinner guests are white males in black tie, watching them experience these traumatic visions uh, as a form of entertainment, mm-hmm. as a, almost like a, vo- a voyeuristic sort of display, like in a, in a museum. And it, it just reminded me, it was, it gave me get out vibes, you know, when they're exactly. at the auction. Yeah. And I, it was super, <laughs> definitely Jordan Peele behind that, that whole scene. But I thought it was, it was interesting because it really made me think about how uh, black folks, how our trauma is, constantly on display mm-hmm. even with like the recent black deaths that have occurred and have been recorded and and being able to see that in a moment it's it's almost as if we're constantly being watched in terms of like our experience and and what can be extracted from it and i'm not really sure what all of that means in particular based on the what i saw in the show but it just seems like that was a moment for them to be like, uh-huh, like, I see what you've done here. You've gotten, like Kenny was saying, our sacrifices are prepared, you know? And like, it, it was almost like, you know, prepare the fatted calf kind of mm-hmm. moment. And yes. and it was it was actually pretty triggering for me, to be honest, because that is such a visceral thing um, in the Black American experience. Um, and so I'm really just making a lot of connections in that regard. But I think in, in, in terms of the show, it's it really puts the evil of the Braithwaites on display. Like it brings that out pretty yeah. viciously. Yeah. You know, that was an interesting moment. And, and it was, again, something that anyone could relate to in terms of the black experience in this country and, and like be able to see, be able to have like a moment of connection. For sure. And I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that these, these guys, and we've seen this, we know this even now. Mm-hmm. So too, they're, um, I've been thinking about it. I can't recall. Uh, it's a dark film. I wouldn't want anybody really to seek it out. But um, there is a film uh, where a bunch of millionaires hire a, a bunch of um, people to come out to an island to do a whole bunch of terrible things for their amusement. Mm. And I remember seeing it late at night on TV when I was a young kid and looked it up years and years later. I was like, oh, okay. So that sick thing was real. And it, it reminded me of that. It's a pretty notorious film. It's, it's, it's both fortunate and unfortunate. I can't remember the name of it, but the point is that I think those guys studied that. Um, and it hits back on what we said on, in the first episode too. I thought of it as soon as they pulled out and showed that's what was going on, that they were mm-hmm. watching these guys in their rooms to go through mm-hmm. their trauma. I would have took a swig mm-hmm. of, of, of my soda and said, people are the real monsters. Like it, it was mm-hmm. so appropriate. Wow. Yep. yep. It's, yeah. it's true right there. I was like, yep, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way. That's that what it crumbles. is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's people. And- there are monsters in the woods. That's true. But you know, the people are right. Real doing this it goes back to what we said about episode one like they they are i mean this is the real horror the real terror is that they're trapped in this Mm -hmm. right yeah the people yes the cultists usually but (laughs) the people speaking of the cultists does anybody Mm -hmm. and i'm curious to know anybody know exactly what organ samuel braithwaite was getting removed when Ooh. when Tick walked into the lab, because I don't know, was it part of his liver? Was it a rib? I, I was thought it, it was his liver. liver. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Yeah, I thought so too. Because mm-hmm. I know you can. I know medically speaking, you can cut off part of your liver and it'll grow back. But yeah. I'm just like, ow! He's like screaming. Ew. I'm like, what? 
the hell is going I, on I here? I just had a. I just had a. Um, I'm so sorry. I just had a um, a Hannibal Lecter moment. Was that what they were eating for dinner? Yes. Yes. That's, that's what they, oh my, that's what they are, serve. I said, I'm going to serve oh, a, piece a piece of myself. Of myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, they which, didn't eat it. Which, Notice they didn't eat it. Oh, <laughs> which, man. Oh, you saw two, a ticket. You said, don't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you would to your, your right. family. Right. Don't, right. Eat, don't eat that. Right, right. <laughs> One, hello, religious symbolism. Yeah. Okay, yes. there you are. Here we go. Flesh up by flesh. Yep. Two, <laughs> let's get some deep cuts going, boys. As well as a, a Hannibal Lecter reference, it was mm-hmm. also, I think, the lab a reference to uh, Herbert West Reanimator, a Lovecraft story in which a scientist is doing things like making limbs, growing limbs, attaching things, oh. and bringing people back from the dead. I think they were referencing Reanimator down there, too. And if so, bravo again. Fantastic. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the the religious references, I have a background in theology. So a lot of the theological references and the, the biblical references reminded me of a class I took in seminary called the abuse of scripture. And it, it was it was interesting how they were using the book of Genesis to sort of justify their beliefs. And, and not only this, not only that, but like Braithwaite saying, even though they believe what they believe, like I it's a means to an end for me in terms of like what he, his ultimate goal was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that to be interesting and, and just, you know, the idea of being able to put everything in its place and wanting the right to assign meaning and value is a hallmark of white supremacy. Like the need to be able to dictate who matters and all again, going back to the, the, the hierarchy and, and power structure that they've set up. And it's fascinating to me because, and it's poetic because, them the greatest fools of the story because Mm -hmm. the thing about lovecraft is (laughs) oh you sweet summer child your religions aren't real none Mm -hmm. of them not your hierarchies not your little society none of that matters one day the great the great dark one will return he'll stomp your cities flat in the dust it's like don't you understand the futility so and here's an interesting question i have and i don't know the answer okay this is a a story taking place in the lovecraft universe that much is clear um he exists and he also exists in his mythos so that's Mm. fine so then god is not real all religions are wrong and the only true gods are aliens that we mistake for gods because of how powerful they are if 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 this story is staying true to the lovecraft mythos which it has so far I wonder that so much. Like, is this story going to get to the point where they go, oh, no, see, his faith did X, Y, Z. That's how he overcame this challenge. I'm like, okay. And in Lovecraft, all all religions are false. Like, all of that stuff was man-made. It's not divide. But, like, the idea that we would even have living gods is a joke to aliens somewhere on another planet. Mm. So I'm so curious as to how they're going to take that aspect of the story, being that faith, you know, is a big part especially, you know, back in the 50s and around that time is a big part of the black community. Mm-hmm. I just wonder how they're going to deal with that. Because if in a Lovecraft universe, that's true. None of that stuff is real or matters in the grand scheme. I, I like that you started off by saying that they are the greatest fools, the Braithwites, in terms of them thinking that they have some superior knowledge or wisdom or power um, that they can they can channel and become more godlike because here in you know towards the end of this episode we notice that it's a black woman who is with child pregnant who is guiding take out of that um that entire situation um and and so i i found that interesting that it was 
particularly a black woman in, in terms of like her having that power to say like, no, none of this matters. And none of this is actually not correct um, in this moment. And you actually are the reason that I, I don't know, like kind of like you, you are the, the true heir or whatever the case may be in terms of ticks place in the whole, the whole story. Well, what's interesting, and I, I know we're harping on about a certain point here, mm-hmm. but it's just so thought provoking to me is that what I think Jordan Peele does, and I see this, is he he's very good at, at making things that make you think he's been ma- writing or making films in the genre his whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I watch a, a story like Lovecraft Country, and to a T, it's Lovecraft. It's just, you know, at the end, he it's like at the very end, after he's written everything, Jordan, or well, I know uh, Jordan didn't write this, but someone goes, and but he was black. And then that's it's it's so interesting to me how how <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we we get all the way because pretty much everything that happened in both episodes one and two could have happened to any Lovecraft protagonist that that he's oh. and it's just interesting to me how easy it would have been to make a colored protagonist for for any reason like literally this could have been one of his stories and all he would have had to do is at the end of it write but he was black and it it would fit perfectly. I think what we're what we're what we also need to remember is that Matt Ruff, as the author of Lovecraft Country, is right. writing based on his understanding of Lovecraft, and so I like that he is taking identifiably Lovecraftian tropes and mm-hmm. building them into a world that Lovecraft probably never really intended for that to to be a thing in that space. So I think that's pretty dope. What do y'all think about the fact that they're trying to access the Garden of Eden, which if we just go back to what Kenny said about all religions are, you know, man-made or, or false, you know, what have you. What do we think about this Garden of Eden? Are we, is this literal access to the Garden of Eden? Is it metaphorical? Is it symbolic of something else? I'm just, I didn't, now that I hear this, now that I hear you, Kenny, you saying this, then I sit there and mm-hmm. I wonder, well, then how does this whole Garden of Eden angle fit into this? Because previously I was thinking, oh, okay, I get it. There's religious stories older than time about trying to get back to God, getting closer to God. You know, one could relate this Garden of Eden thing as, as a way of man trying to get closer to God. But then when you tell me that this Lovecraft universe has these certain rules or certain aspects to it, I guess, that these stories right. follow. And then right. I'm, now I'm sitting here thinking, well, then how does this whole Garden of Eden thing play into it? And is there some aspect in that Lovecraft mythos that this would fit into? Very easily, actually, very easily. Um, it depends on what direction they, they want to, because I'm not, I'm not up on, on the, the novel, so I don't know where this is going. And he could have different artistic interpretations. Like I mentioned mm-hmm. in the first episode, that's a cool thing about Lovecraft's work. Even when he was alive, you could kind of take it and do your own thing to a point. Right. Yeah. But with the Garden of Eden, it's it's another continental breakfast moment. Oh, I see. They think they found the Eden. And when they stumble upon the rock that they made our genetic blob upon, I'm sure they'll be so disappointed that they devoted their entire lives to this farce. Because, and again, he could go, <laughs> he could go in a different direction with this. But if we're being true to Lovecraft, you silly summer child, there is no garden of Eden. You are a mistake, sir. If if there is wherever he's going to go, right? And it, this would be if this followed a typical Lovecraft tale. Wherever these guys are going to go thinking it's some biblical garden of Eden, they're going to find aliens there. 
who are like, what in the world is that? I uh, step on it quick. Okay. Yeah. I kill it. I got you. It makes me think about, I love that you said that silly summer child, because as a seminarian, I would always think about how religious folks perceive God to be his character, his per or, or even, even the description, even the, the pronoun he, him instead of they. And, and so in thinking about the notion of God, like God as a person and how we picture God to look in our minds. A lot of times we see God depicted as a white man. And here we go. Who opens the portal, but a black woman who is with child. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what if God is a black woman, you know? And it's, it's so interesting to, to think about how it rips apart our perceptions of, of reality and, and what we consider to be true about God and religion and faith. It's so interesting. Mm. This series has become by episode two, only two episodes in, it's become such an interesting mix and a mishmash of things. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's it's hard to predict really, even mm -hmm. as a big fan of Lovecraft who sees what it's going for every step of the way. I'm like, you could still take a left where I think you're going to take a right Lovecraft country. Like <laughs> right. you could totally right. go yes. before a loop. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Right. <laughs> it's like my, my, my Lovecraft history tells me there's no Garden of Eden. They're just foolish men who believe some myths and they're going to find out they were created by aliens and boy, won't they feel silly when that's the case, <laughs> but that could be wrong for this story. And I'm interested mm. to see where we go. Hmm. Where do we feel Samuel and his daughter, Christina, is that her name? Yes. The... Yes. Where did they get their powers? Is this something we're assuming that just has happened through the time, the test of time that they've acquired? Or and I'm looking at this like I have no idea. Which Witch, witchcraft and wizardry? Which, <laughs> yeah, Hog, Hogwarts. Right. <laughs> I got at at one point, has have they gotten on that train and picked up these spells? Right. Because at, I bring that up because um, you know the ability to bring Letitia back to life, right? Um, yeah. And him, you know, promising to also bring George back. Had he uh, have the opportunity, who knows if he would have carried it out or not. Mm. But that was a very interesting um, choice to me that he would shoot her right off. I mean, it was it, it was brilliant, you know, to in order to get him get Tick to be able to do what he wanted him to do. But yeah. I just wondered, I'm like, where where did these people get their powers? Their powers are significant. And are we just it's just a, is this a Lovecraftian thing to just go with it? Like, this is just part of it. You just. Yeah. You're going to just yeah. have powers. They're going to be people with powers. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much every time I, I hear you guys go, I wonder why what? X, Y, Z. Like, I adjust my glasses silently and go, well. <laughs> and tell me, Kenny, because I mean, please, please. I, I literally, you know, I told you, I told you all the beginning. I came through the, like, I am completely brand new to it. You know? I love it. There were so few people who, who gave a damn about this Lovecraft stuff. It's so great to get to bring some of this, you know, deep, buried deep cut stuff up you're bringing me in bringing me yes. in. yeah so there um real quick there there is a lovecraft story um there are two that are named very similarly and I always mix them up so I, I i forget the name i apologize but basically the story tells of a guy who's been communicating with aliens and by the end of the story he's put his brain into a glass tube and is speaking to his friend who's come to see him. And he's like, you won't even believe it. I've met these aliens. They're so far beyond us. They're like gods, man. 
They, they took my brain out of my body and without my physical form, I can travel unbidden through the cosmos. I can inherit lives on other planets. I can study libraries in other worlds, fly through other dimensions. You wouldn't believe the secrets of the universe if you could just cast off this mortal shell that, that you have here. And spoiler alert, um, that does not turn out well for him, actually, because like I've said many times, aliens do not care about humans. And that's very consistent. But mm. what that tells me about some of these powers in Lovecraft Country is, again, um, these guys could be going left when I think they're going right. But in terms of traditional Lovecraft, they've come into contact most likely with being so far beyond our own. They appear to use magic. It's most likely some very high form of alien technology that we would be indis we would indistinguish it from magic. In Lovecraft, there's even such a thing as because your mind as a human has never seen anything like what you're looking at, you see it as something familiar. So you mm -hmm. don't even really know what it is. There, there are so many weird directions they could take these powers. Humans are, are easily broken and I guess easily mended. I really wasn't that surprised that they were able to, to heal human wounds. If they can ward doors and erase memories, I'm sure things like mending flesh are, are trivial to them at this point. If we're going by typical Lovecraft stuff. Okay. Thank mm. you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I was wondering that another, another thing I noticed on the wooden portal in the ceremony. Did y'all notice the symbols that were on that portal? Oh. There were some I symbols did. that lit I up. I did see that. Yes. I saw that the second time around, actually. I saw that. And symbolism. Let's talk about that. I mean, you brought that up. Um, we brought it up with the mythos, with the octopus arm yes. with the tentacles what other symbols i mean and if if you know what those are on that wooden portal definitely let me know what you think about that oh my gosh okay so we're getting deep here kenny's like i know exactly what they are <laughs> i don't know exactly what they are man but this is good stuff here right like okay. this is when they're really the moment this show could have went so many ways and i was like well they've got monsters all right this could be like a, a realistic thing where the monsters are this that blah 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 and once people started, you know, having warded doors and portals were popping, I was like, yes, they're going full Lovecraft. This is what full Lovecraft <laughs> looks like. So all the etchings around there. Um, the thing about universal travel in Lovecraft is the, the beings that can do it easily. We don't necessarily know their methods. Um, they're a little too hard for us to understand. But people who want to replicate it in these cultists what they do is they draw different pentagrams and things like that because angles are important when crossing into dimensions i think it's called the witch house but there's a lovecraft story where a witch lived in an attic and how she was crossing through dimensions to influence dreams i believe was that she had drawn certain etchings of different triangles and such triangles and such at the 90 degree angle and that allowed her to do it so Ooh. all of those symbols at once they i don't think that they all mean something very specific like i don't okay. think that portal really has a message on it or anything okay. like that but what i do believe is they're all symbols vaguely associated with the mythos that have probably been used here and there to indicate hey this is an area where someone who who knows um like deep one lore is trying to do cultist things so i was just i was just happy to see it really that that's where my excitement comes from gotcha wow what do you suppose caused them? Well, okay. So if we go into that scene for just a little bit, you know, Tick finally kind of screams. The whole thing kind of blows up. 
And then this wave washes over and everybody except him turns to stone or to ash or whatever you want mm. to call it. Is that also kind of in that mythos as well? Or is that just uh, somewhat random? Because it was strange. I didn't understand personally. And this is why I'm asking because I really didn't understand is um, why that happened. Like he's OK. He's being used as a power source. I get it. It's his lineage and his blood that makes that opening of the portal more possible than with anybody else. But why all of a sudden he screams the whole thing the way that the shockwave blows out and then everybody turns to stone or ash and the whole house starts falling apart. Does anybody have any theories or thoughts on kind of what happened there? Or maybe you know, but I don't. I'm just curious. It, it sort of reminded me of, of the moment that Lot's wife looks back yep. at the destruction mm-hmm. of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And yeah, that's what came to mind most most quickly was the Biblical. just turning into a pillar of salt and you thought you knew, but clearly you were mistaken and now you're gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that, that was the moment for me. And the questions that they spawn, because then for me as a Lovecraft mm-hmm. fan, it becomes, okay, so have they looked too far into the veil of space and time and they're paying for it? And this is how that right. works. Or yeah. is there a Ooh. garden of Eden in your setting? What, what are you doing here, artist? Like, is, is there a Garden of Eden? Is there a God in your setting in this Lovecraft universe? Is that why? Because that, the symbolism between the, the Garden of Eden and them turning into stone like Sodom and Gomorrah was one of the first things I thought. I went, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe religions are real here. I also went, oh, it killed them all. And it took the whole house down. Well, that's mm-hmm. wonderfully convenient. Cool. We can just we can just move <laughs> we can just move right along. That wraps right up. It's funny how that happens, isn't it, writers? Right. But mm-hmm. you know, it could go so many different ways. These guys are so darn clever. Well, while we're on that scene, I mean, we have to talk about our title. Whitey's on the moon. Oh yes, yes. That's yep. that was Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott Heron, nineteen seventy spoken mm-hmm. word. Yes, love Gil Scott Heron. Yes, talk on it. Oh, 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 I don't really have like a deep opinion on it. I just, uh, I really like the song Home is Where the Hatred Is. And I was familiar mm-hmm. with, I, I'd heard Whitey on the Moon just because, you know, Spotify exists. So I'd, I'd heard the song before, but they used it really well. It's just like I said at the beginning of the episode, the music direction was fantastic. Jeez, I got like Tarantino movie vibes. I got like Django vibes again. Like there's just something about, again, and I said this in the first episode too, something about interjecting these songs that aren't from the period into the period to make a point. Because as far as I know, Gil Scott Heron was making music after the Vietnam War. And I don't think that that it happened yet. So I think they were kind of pulling that song forward to put it in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. That's okay. And and if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong there. But I think they used it to great effect. I think all the music was used to great effect here. Yes, I, I think it points to the fact that almost everything in the United States in terms of like this, this poem, just putting it in, in context, it's based on his critique of the United States landing on the moon. It, it points out how much of the, the different <laughs> quintessentially American moments throughout our history have almost always been to the detriment or marginalization of black folks mm-hmm. and 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 people of color. And so I think in that moment, it's kind of like, you you know, the wool is being pulled from over your eyes and, and you, you're able to see what the real picture is, what the real narrative is underneath it all. Um, and it was so well-timed in this episode of like realization that 
they thought they knew, but they had no idea. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they were trying to do something to the detriment of a people that are so that are more sacred than they understand or more, more important than they realize to the grand scheme of things. And, and I think it kind of it is a very Matt Ruff thing in terms of the writing of the text as it's translated to the screen that what he's saying is the focal point of the Lovecraftian, the, the, the quintessential Lovecraftian genre is, is the white man and that like his, you know, superiority or, you know, his, uh, supremacy overall. And in this story, it's actually quite the opposite. And what we're realizing is Matt Ruff is decentering whiteness um, in, in this particular episode. From what I can see, I'm just giving my, my analysis, but like in that moment that we're hearing Whitey on the Moon, it's like, you thought, however, now look, this is the actual focal point. Like these Braithwites are actually not playing as big a role as you thought they might have. And instead, Tick is the one carrying the power and he's moving it moving through and so now i'm really paying Mm -hmm. close attention to tick and what he's going to do with it and how he's going to wield it and and what what will happen next it's almost like this show is a deconstruction of a lovecraft story i i I agree i agree Mm -hmm. it clearly has all the aspects down it knows it's Mm -hmm. lovecraft but again it's like i said earlier it's like they knew it well enough to write it exactly as it should be and then at the end they put but he was black yeah, right. And it's just playing out. <laughs> it's playing out perfectly. It is perfectly it before is. us. That might that might be the name of this episode. But he was black. My <laughs> <laughs> God! Wow, mind blown, mind blown. This show keeps getting better and it better does. and better. And I'm just, I cannot. You know, I have to admit, I, I you know, we we've all kind of watched a little bit further here, but. I, it's unbelievable, folks. Like, if you have not watched this show, I'm sure by the, if you're listening to episode two of our podcast, you probably have watched the season premiere that just happened. What are you guys hearing about on social media? Are you hearing good things about the show? Anything you heard? Like, tell me what you thought about the show. I've heard nothing but positives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, a bunch heard, of my friends are watching and they, they love it so far. Uh, they're, they're listening to us. They're engaging and watching the show and, and really enjoying it. Especially some of my friends who are super into Afrofuturistic sci- science fiction. Um, I'm, I'm following who are these people, Ashley? <laughs> uh, Kenny's like, give me, the, give me the right. group. Where's the group? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, have to, I know I'll have to, I have to get, get uh, better connected with them and, and ask them some questions on, on for next before next time. Absolutely. So we talk about that a little more. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Myers is an amazing actor. He's an amazing actor. Yes. He did a great job. And I mean, everyone is. I've been meaning to say this. Um, the, the cool thing about uh, Tisha, right? Letitia, yes. yeah. Letitia, yes. there we go. Letty. Letty, yeah. Letty, there it is. Yes. Thank you. All right. Let me just edit. Oh, but um, the, cool <laughs> thing, <laughs> the cool thing about Letty and people who follow us on Ghost Planet, you know, they like a lot of things, but they like anime too, and especially classic anime. Boy, Bebop um, is a classic from the, the late 90s, early 2000s. There's a female character in that name, Faye Valentine, who is. Um, She's her own woman. She has a lot of debts to a lot of bad people and the pulls a lot of cons. But you know what? She's her own person. She's in charge of herself and she lives life by her own rules. She's a great mm. and legendary female anime character. Lady reminds me so much of Faye Valentine. Like when when she's when she was in the car driving last episode, and mm. e- even the fact that she wanted to drive and the fact that killed it for the most part, I was like, man, she's just like Faye. That's something Faye would do. Faye would demand to drive. And everyone else would be like, all right, fine. 
And I don't know, I, I see a lot of cool things here. And the interesting thing is, um, I don't really know where the Lovecraft begins and the Matt, Matt Ruff begins. Like, I don't really know because he's he's done such a good job at, at making this a Lovecraft story. It's hard for me to tell where the scene is, you know, like how much of this might be commentary or a part of the deconstruction. I'm catching the religious symbolism. Um, I think that that's one of the more surface level bits of symbolism in the show. But um, there's clearly a lot more. Like I said, I, I didn't catch those tentacles sitting there or, or things like that. So maybe repeat viewings are, are necessary yeah. with this one here. Mm-hmm. I, I think to to the point that Kenny just made about Letty, she is way more, to me, in my opinion, of an independent woman given the time the time frame, the era that she's in. I mean, in the 1950s, you know, they had very pretty traditional roles. Uh, she is young, unmarried, traveling with two men on a road trip, black, white, or whatever. Yeah. That was fairly uncommon in the 1950s, as far as I'm aware. She's very strong. She's, um, like you said, she grabbed the wheels. She drove. She's the one that ran. She's like, I ran track. She ran to get the Woody when they were in the cabin. Um, she is really kind of a, a, I think, a real role model um, mm. for this show. And really breakout character. I may I alluded to the fact that, you know, her clothing was bright and she stood out in the scenes. She really ties a lot of the different aspects of these episodes together. And I think, again, we've watched a little bit further along and I start to see more and more of how she is tying this series together. But I think she is definitely the most fascinating character, or one of the most fascinating characters we have in this series. I agree. I agree. I agree, too. I also agree. Well, <laughs> we have plenty, plenty coming up for you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, yes. Kenny from mm-hmm. Ghost Planet. Um, we will be back for episode three. Do not miss it. And thanks so much. I'm Aisha with Pod Clubhouse. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you. Ah.